<laughs> hey, that's all. We, there we go. Hey, uh, that's all so, we need. Yeah, that's all we need. How are you, Mike? Doing good. Doing really good. How about you? I'm doing okay. Um, so I'm Dan, and this is uh, Shall We Digress? And um, all I know about you is what's on your Twitter bio, which is really like the spirit of the show. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I what what I see is. Uh, a lot of things that I am definitely um, a fan of or interested in, but it's really about, um, you know, shall we digress is, you know, taking from the name there. It's, it's, we talk about whatever comes up and, you know, it's, uh, it's just about getting to know you as, uh, as just a, as a person rather yeah. than what it is that you do every day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I see a lot of fun stuff back there. So, um, but yeah, welcome, welcome to the show, man. No, thank you for having me. This is absolutely this is going to be fun. Yeah, I, uh, you know, um, I get, uh, I get to have a lot of fun doing this. And, uh, you know, you were, you were recommended by Cicero Holmes. I don't know if you actually know Cicero or not, but. Um, oh, yeah, he came yeah. by one time. He happened to be in town for my birthday and brought me birthday cake vodka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it took like a year to get through it. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, I bet that has an interesting um, aftertaste. <laughs> it does. I don't uh, know what what possessed us to like drink that and play basketball at our our studio, but like we're that, doing that. You did that. You did that. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Yeah, I uh, I gosh, I learned of Cicero uh, through the incomparable, um, and then logged into Twitter one day, and he had followed me out of the blue somewhere because I made a D and D comment, I guess. And I was like, well, this is just the universe telling me to, to reach out to him. And so I did. He came on the show, visited him at his house in Chicago. You know, now we're buds. So Yeah, he's one of the best. Strange, strange how, oh, yeah. Now, like, we could also make this the Cicero Stan show. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, this evening, I will be, uh, I get to record with him uh, for some Discovery Debrief. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's enough about that. How about you? Uh, so, so tell me what, what do you do? What is it that you do do? Yeah. So what I do do, what I do daily is I am president of a company called digital eclipse, which is, um, it's been around since the early nineties and we focus entirely on classic retro games. So we, not only do we re-release retro games, we remaster them and sometimes we'll make sequels and we'll do all sorts of stuff. So we're kind of like the intellectual property experts of classic games that come in and try to like either revive a franchise or just celebrate a franchise. Oh, that's awesome. I uh, spent a few weeks ago, spent a couple of weeks straight, just retro gaming on um, a little pie that a friend of mine had uh, engineered for me. And I had so much fun. The only thing that I would say uh, is that I also have the retro, like the NES classic and the SNES classics, and there's something about the the controller. Yeah, having the actual controller changes. You know, the the Pi has a is a PS style controller, and that's fine. But when you're playing Mario, it, it's different, right? No, you want to play it the way you played it before. Like that feel of the controller, the responsiveness of that controller. Mm-hmm. It's like the game was designed for that. That's the same thing with like a, a lot of arcade games. People will put games like Tempest in our arcade game collection, but Tempest had a spinner. Yeah. The spinner in the arcade, you would spin it, it made a sound. It had like a velocity it was a to big it. Old heavy ball too. Yeah, it yeah. was great. And like uh, controllers doesn't compare to that, and it doesn't feel right. So you, it's really like half half the stuff we do every day is trying to figure out how to make these older games that have those kind of special controls mm-hmm. feel better on a control pad. And that means you have to reprogram it or think that. But hopefully, if our job's done right, people don't think about it too much. But generally, like when you, you're talking about like the pie situation, it's that classic case of like it's it's serving so many masters. It has like twenty thousand games on it potentially, and it's yeah. like. There's no way you're going to get just the feel of a single game right. <laughs> no, not at all. And and the thing too is those you know those emulators aren't trying as hard. Yeah, um, they're not doing a direct port. They're um, they're just uh, trying their best to make a piece of hardware that wasn't designed to be a different piece of hardware. <laughs> yeah. um, and that is you know there are uh, I did a little uh, YouTube uh, research as it were, and there are machines out there where you know basically you can program the cpu and then run the machine as though it were original hardware i have um, one of those on my desk right now yeah the, the, yeah. Mr., the mr fpga or the analog yeah. the, the commercially it's the analog products too are the same thing yeah yeah and i was blown away i was like that's incredible and then you get the the adapters and you have the actual controllers 
Um, but one thing that I realized between playing, say, let's say Mario uh, on Super Mario Brothers on the Retro Pi, and then playing it on the NES Classic with the actual controller is the the muscle memory that takes over yeah. from when you played it for you know thousands of hours as a child or as a teen you're not thinking of like i was thinking about playing the game while i was on the on the pie but with the retro uh with the with the classic that that classic controller my fingers my brain it just i didn't even have to think about it it was just and everything was right where it used to be and you, you know, pretty much played blindfolded with the right controller like, yeah that's what yeah. i found like if you put a joystick in my hand you put like pitfall 2 on an atari I don't even have to look at the screen. I can beat it in like 10 minutes because I played that over and over and over again for so long that it's just like, it's my Zen place basically. And it isn't even, um, it isn't even about you, you just with the feel, you're, you know, like the number of, okay, it's about this long and then I jump and then that the vine is there and, you know, it's all that pattern, but it's in the feel of the physical hardware. It really is. And like when, when that's all happening for me, like nostalgia is that weird thing where, I start to remember, I start to smell places where I'd been during that time. I start yep. to remember things and everything like that. It just takes, it is like a time machine, really. Yep. I feel like I'm just like warped back to like sitting on like the shag carpet playing some Pitfall 2. I can smell like, you know, the, the coffee being made in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. It's just a weird sensation. Absolutely. Well, and for me too, um, it's very similar. Like when I, when I would play, I'm not playing, you know, sitting here in front of, the same screen I am right now, even though that's that's where I'm yeah. interacting with it. And, you know, I am three feet away from the console TV in the living room because that's how close you had to be because the cord on your your, your, your controller kept you there, um, you know, or just like right. And the, exactly. the, the age old, okay, do I, do I wrestle around the cord hanging down from in front of the TV or is it <laughs> off to the side? You know, yeah, the kids these days, they don't understand the struggle. They don't man. get it. And you know? you're sitting there trying to tune in channel three or two or four, whichever one you had yeah, to click which, on because they had to pick one. You had to pick one. And, and you're like you tuning know, in, you got the snow on the image. You're like, oh, come on, come on. Give me this. Just give me a good image tune. today. Yeah. If there's a thunderstorm, you're screwed because like everything's <laughs> distorted. That's right. That's right. Well, and um, one of the things I found uh, is uh, a lot of my, a lot of my early play was on a 13 inch black and white TV. So yeah. that's how, that's how far back Nintendo goes. You could play it on a black and white TV. Uh, but if you did so just right, you could tune the, you could do the brightness and the contrast just so that every hit with the zapper was a registered. So you could just kill all the ducks. Yep. It yeah, just knew yeah. that like it's bright. It means you killed it. You killed something. It was so, yep. such it a good cheat. Just a, just a doop, you know, and yeah, boom. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, I would rig that up for my little brother. Oh, was, yeah. That was hours of, of unattended entertainment. That's great. <laughs> he could just shoot the ducks. I see my 13 inch black and white TV, which was a Zenith. I even remember that. Yeah. Um, I, my first system I had for that was the Pong. It was a Rally 4. It was like the Radio Shack version of Pong. Yes. Yes. And uh, sorry for some noise on the outside here if you hear it. But like um, the cool thing about that radio, the, the Radio Shack version of Pong was that like it, it was so like the contrast and everything was so bright that when you played on black and white TV, everything just glowed. It yeah. just looked like you're in an arcade. <laughs> And, um, but like nobody wanted to play it. So I would sit there in front of that 13 inch black and white TV with two hands, one hand on each controller. I try to play against myself. It was the saddest thing, but like, it was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. I sit there and, and it that, was the Atari that like kind of got me out of that mess. <laughs> well, that, um, I, if I recall now, we didn't have that system, but someone brought it over, I believe to the house one time when I was young, the, that, that was the one with the four toggles you toggle the game you wanted to play yep. by flipping the toggle and the paddles were built onto the console. So it like, it sat on the coffee table and you played there and then the cable ran to the TV. If I, if I recall. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly that. There's um, uh, when the old meme runs around on, on Twitter, you know, what was your first video game system at home? That's usually my answer because that's, that's what I played. On yeah. The, yeah. Very first. Video. And then some, <laughs> someone later, brought over an Atari 2600. One of my mom's friends brought that over, but I didn't have an Atari till I was like eight. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, you know, when they went on sale for like $99 and their wood yep. was gone. Yeah. You know. Like we got one, I think <laughs> I, it was 78 or 79, 79, I think it was. And uh, I remember we wouldn't buy new games. So I would always wait for people to be bored of their old games to sell them. So it was always like trying to get like the used games before there was a used game market. Like yeah, I was going to say, that's, uh, that's very prescient. You know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, it could have started, you could have started game flicks back in the day, <laughs> yeah. 
maybe saved the industry before the 83 crash <laughs> <laughs> or encouraged it. <laughs> uh, true. That's true. Now um, that's some fascinating stuff too. Just, um, you know, we obviously grew up and lived through a lot of that, not necessarily, I guess at the time, knowing the whys behind it. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, Atari games are super cheap and you can get an Atari for a hundred dollars, uh, which, uh, um, you know, before that they were not a hundred dollars. Um, and it just, uh, you know, at the time you didn't realize, uh, and I just remember thinking then when the Nintendo came around, I was like, oh, this, you know, I remember video games. This doesn't seem, you know, I don't feel like this is legitimate. And, but no, it was incredibly legitimate. <laughs> oh, I, it was that, that was the greatest time though for me. And like, again, I didn't know that the industry was crashing. I just thought, oh, finally games have, have got to the point that I can afford them as a kid. <laughs> right, right. And it was like, and there's so many of them. Like I would go to Circus World. I remember this place, this mall by our house and they would have card tables out with stacks, floor to ceiling and on the table to ceiling of like Atari games for like one to $4. Yep. And that was the most amazing. There's games that I never even heard of because they're just all closed out. Games that didn't even make it to market, really. They're just being closed out through there. But like to me, I'm like, wow, Konami's making Atari games now. And all, yeah, everybody was making an Atari game. Yeah. And I was just like buying that stuff all up like it was like gold. And I didn't know because I, I had weathered that storm and still didn't know the game industry crashed until like years later because I'd moved on to computers at that point, like at right. a Commodore 64. Yep. And so that just seemed like the natural evolution. Like, okay, video games are not so popular anymore. It's all computer games, which are video games. So nothing stopped for me. Exactly. So my uh, uh, I cut my teeth on the VIC-20, yep. uh, which was the hand-me-down because my uncle got his Commodore 64. <laughs> uh, I never got to graduate uh, beyond the VIC-20 um uh but you know i i know the i know the joy let's say let's call it joy of loading games from data set oh yeah um, yeah or saving them to data yep. set that, uh, yeah, i mean one you had one of the best versions of gorf well let's yep. give vic 20 a little nod there because oh, Gorf man. was amazing on it yep and that data set it was really cool about it. it was it took like 10 to 15 minutes sometimes to load a game yeah so i would sit there and hit load and then we'd all go outside and play basketball exactly. or whatever and then come back in to see if it was loaded and then play the game for like maybe 20 minutes yep. and then rinse and repeat, load the next thing, go out and play. It was like such a unique time where it's uh, like you're encouraged to go do something else while you waited. Uh, to talk about loading screen, right? Um, <laughs> and that's what I tell people. I was like, you would, you would, uh, you'd get ready, you know, you'd sit down, you'd pop in the tape, you'd spin up to the, to the marker and you'd tell it to, you know, hopefully you, you were close enough that it didn't air out and you'd, you'd tell it to load up your game. It was like, and then you either went and took your bath or you went yeah. And or you ate dinner you had uh, stuff to do <laughs> yeah it's stuff to do you didn't have to sit there and piddle twiddle because you were going to be waiting a while yeah um, and the other fun fact of course is if you play a data set in an actual cassette player it sounds like a modem it does it's the same <laughs> data basically exactly <laughs> so exactly and uh, that 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 does count data set in an actual cassette player counts as the first time i ever heard modem noise though uh, oh yeah that was pretty great now my uncle also had a Vic Twenty, and there was he had he was into shortwave radio as well. Oh, and there was, wow. a, there was a station where they would transmit Vic Twenty games. And I so was about to say, yeah, he would record is, them, but yep. it sounded like a modem. I remember hearing that sound, and I'm like, "What is it?" He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna blow your mind." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he record stuff. And then someone would come on and say, "You know, program done or whatever," and he put it in the Vic Twenty and load it up, and like nine times out of ten it would load, and other times yeah. it just never load. But like, well, sometimes it was they're static. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's uh, that's another thing. Um, through like eight bit guy, I think it was on uh, on YouTube, and he went through and did like um, uh, cataloging of old recording media. Uh, and one of it was uh, there was you know a, a magazine, a, a computing magazine from from the late seventies, uh, and one of it uh, one of the pages was a thin plastic record uh, that you could play on your forty five or, or LP machine. Uh, and and that would play out a program that you could Amazing. you know play into your computer yeah um, you know and and every uh, I think uh, what's what needs to be it's, it wasn't just Commodore Apple yeah. uh, they had their version of data set and um, you know we're saying we're saying data set just to just to make it sound cooler it's just a cassette player that just a cassette player a with a headphone headphone jack into a computer basically <laughs> that's all it was um you know you felt fancy for it but nope it wasn't nothing special and 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 what commodore didn't want you to know is that you could use just a tape recorder yeah you, you, you could. <laughs> and like they had their special connector and all that stuff but you could get the adapter for that like it, it was no problem because everybody else just used the regular cassette player and yeah. commodore was trying to get you to buy their it's a big data old fat. set thing yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> a serial connector that that uh, never actually worked. You know, if you had to chain no. something together, bless your heart. Yeah. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. It, but uh, you know, you were high. You were high. Uh, and high rolling. If you had a sixty-four with with two disc drives, the fifteen fifty ones. Oh yeah, fifteen forty ones. Yes, fifteen forty ones. Yeah, yep. you were. Yeah, you were living large. There, we were living large for a while. We ran a bulletin board system for years on the Commodore sixty four, and I remember oh, when we graduated. We went from like fifteen forty ones to like the fifteen eighty one, which was like the large. That's the three and a half inch disc for oh, the Commodore yeah, sixty four. Yeah, yeah. And then we graduated to the Data Chief, which was a twenty meg. If I got that correct, yes, twenty meg hard Sounds drive. About right. Yeah. And we saved up so much money over years, and I think that thing was like five hundred dollars, or maybe even more. Yep. It, was, it was like, it was bigger than a PC. It was like this giant box that's got on the table and it's 20 megs. And that thing would take forever to fetch files and everything <laughs> like that. But like, it was amazing because we could get people to upload so many like pieces of software, games, everything to our bulletin board and just had enough room for all that stuff. We still had I to mean, clear it off every so A often. 20 megabyte hard drive. Uh, I can't, I can't fathom how many programs in basic that that thing could probably hold. It's, you know, Almost it's all got of to be. Yeah, like all of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, speaking of hard drive size, um, it's storage capacity, uh, through the years of computing is just, you know, it's gotten, it's gotten ridiculous. Um, my first adult computer was a power Mac 7,200 with a 512 meg hard drive and eight megs of Ram. Uh, and I thought I had one when I added 16 more megabytes of Ram for a total of 24. Um, and eventually put a one gig hard drive in that. Uh, but you know, like the, the first hard drive developed by IBM, you've seen the pictures, right? Oh God. Yeah. When they're yeah. wheeling it into that like <laughs> warehouse. Yeah. They're, 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 they're loading it off a plant. This thing is, you yeah. know, this thing is like eight feet tall size of, uh, two refrigerators, industrial refrigerator. And, you know, it's just, you're like, wow, five megabytes. And, and, and it's, <laughs> and it's platters. I mean, we're talking like 18 inch platters. Yeah. And, you know, a few years back, and, you know, they moved this thing on an airplane. And a few years back when we got the, um, oh, it wasn't the Hubble Deep Field image, but it was the, it was, it was a very large uh, image that they had taken, you know, uh, and it just took scads and scads and scads of data. Um, and so much so that, like, there's no conceivable, there's no real good way to transfer that much data over a wire, you know, this thing is on stacks of NAS, right? And so turns out that in that with that much data, the fastest way to move that much data is to load it onto an airplane and fly it to where <laughs> yep, you need it to still. go. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it it just comes back around. <laughs> it does. It, it keeps going back around. Like the more space we get and the more RAM, everything that we get uh, capacity and all that stuff, it's just like the more we use it, it's just like with the iPhone, like every time I upgrade the iPhone, it's like, oh, it's got so much more room, so much more of this, but it's also now 4K. It's now exactly. this. It could be like 120 frames a second. You're just going to eat up all that space in the same amount of time. <laughs> terabyte isn't as big as it used to be. You know? No, like, I thought that was like you could never fill a terabyte. Like in my mind, it's like, no, that, I could do that in a day. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Just shooting, um, yeah. you know, just shooting one one or two videos on yep. 4K with or uh, you get the was Adobe HDR now with 60, uh, 60 frames a second. You can. You can really yeah. fill up an iPhone exactly. or warm one up. They get really yeah. hot. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, tell me a little bit about uh, like the retro game conversion uh, process. How does that, uh, how do you, how do you get the rights to something like that and then bring that to market? Um, it's crazy. Like it, it starts, I mean, this starts a long time ago because I think it really helps that you, you've been doing it for a little while because like a lot of people who own different games, generally can do it themselves. So it's like, you look at somebody like Capcom, they can do Mega Man themselves, but sometimes right. they're at capacity. They're working on a bunch of new games, but they know they need to like maybe test the waters to see if people are interested in like Mega Man still or whatever. That's usually when we get the call, like it either comes to us or we chase it. And in the cases where it comes to us, we get the call because, Hey, we have a gap in our release schedule. And normally these things don't take as long as a larger game anyway. So let's see what we can do here. And because we've been doing it for so long, like we're kind of, um, we're, we're, we're top of mind for a lot of companies. So it's like we work with everybody out there from like Konami, Capcom, Atari, and all these guys because of just, I think, by being here since like 92, yeah. um, it kind of helps. But then we've, we've just recently done a thing where we've raised some money and we've flipped it where we want to go license a lot more IPs ourselves and intellectual properties. And so now we're going after and we're chasing down things that we think are really cool games because like part of what we want to do with Digital Eclipse is we want to be kind of like the criterion 
of video games. We want people oh, who, I like the idea of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it'll be remastered. It's going to have all these like quality of life improvements, but we also want to do documentaries that are included with it. So you get to meet the people who made the games mm-hmm. and we get to talk about, talk with them about the challenges <sighs> of, of making these games in the time frame and everything they had and then contextualizing everything. Cause like we'll yeah. talk to game developers and you'll hear these stories about like what was going on in their lives during the creation of this game. Like a lot of these guys that we've talked to recently, like they were, you know, they're still in high school when they're making some of these games. So they're talking about the fears they had. Like it's like, like applicable today is like fears of war and fears of all these things while they're trying to make something that's like fun to do. And they're like losing themselves in it and all stuff. I I love those stories Mm -hmm. about like who they were, why they did what they did and how something like against all odds came out there when they were like 16 or whatever. It's like, it's so fun to go through these stories with these guys and capture those stories because they don't get to tell these stories very often. They often like, they're just like interviewed because of something in an article or to get a podcast, but they don't have a new product come out based off the game they made a long time ago that has them speaking about that thing and then being celebrated by other people like peers in the game industry also talking about how important that game was so we want to we want to do these things that people we're we're giving people who've never seen a game before like uh the entire story of that game so they have an appreciation for it today so there's like you know kids who are like 15 or 16 right now of course they don't appreciate like load runner or these older games before but if we tell the story right if we present it correctly they might actually understand the value of that game today and then we can do some extra little things too to make sure that it's more playable today and more accessible. I, you know, I really, um, I would really like to kind of tap into a couple of the things that that, that, that I'm mm-hmm. thinking about these, like you say, these artists who don't ever get to tell their story and their contribution. Most gamers never see because if you don't finish the game, you don't see their name. Yeah, and if you and and so like. Everything that has to everything that has to kind of come to focus for a project like a you know a Criterion edition of a video game to have all of that content, all of that um, value add to it, um, the people who can celebrate that. I mean, it just gets more niche and niche and niche, right? Like like yep. you said, celebrating amongst their peers and and it's it's folks like yourselves and 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 uh, you know, big game enthusiasts who know who these game developers are because they have already done this research. But you know, something like for instance like on Netflix, you know, the series that that made us, right? Yeah. You got the games that made us and so on. Something like that where, yeah. you know, someone who has an interest in video games and oh man i loved mega man oh this is the these are the people that made that well wow, these are great people and then you know that just carries that learning journey forward um you know and through through stuff like that i learned uh you know i learned i didn't know um that the essentially the cartridge based system of video gaming was invented by a black man oh yeah and, you Jerry know, Lawson. exactly and and it's mind-boggling right because we don't hear that history and that's like that's like really important nerd stuff (laughs) it is and like in 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 my mind i think of i even go so far as to think of things like the helvetica documentary like not seeing it you're like why would i want to watch a helvetica documentary because it's everywhere yeah then when you then when you watch it you're like this is amazing (laughs) like now i care so much about helvetica (laughs) we want we want to do the the best fun yeah it's the best fun it's the best fun it's way better than comic sans by a long shot oh (laughs) (laughs) but like uh but but that's what we want to do we want to make sure that people have proper context when they play these games because again we're going going back to the uh, raspberry pi without the right controls without the right context around it and everything like that you'll just you won't even give anything more than a few seconds because you don't understand what really went on behind and what, what role that game played in the history of games. Like we want to connect the dots between like, okay, Berserk, this old arcade game was a corridor shooter that led to say like, um, you know, Castle or Castle Wolfenstein on the Apple II by new software, which then if you look at like that going to Wolfenstein 3D to now first person shooters and Doom and all stuff like, a lot of these games yep. are so important that we wouldn't have some of the things we have today artistically that uh, had not had these games not existed before. Exactly. So we want to make sure that story is told. And so people understand, like, here's how we got here. And here's the root of us. And here's what inspired the people who make the games you love today. I think you can relate uh, with this this anecdote just recently playing playing uh, our D, uh, in-person D&D session. So I'm in two regular sessions. One's in person, mostly the same group. There's There's a serious mm-hmm. overlap. And then the second uh, uh, is uh, we do a YouTube uh, actual play game, and um, but but talking to my friend there, we're we're both 
you know, 47 ish. And, you know, so anime to us is uh, Speed Racer and Gundam and Voltron and uh, Robotech. Right. And all of that. And so we're talking about Robotech and, and these kids at the table are, oh, man, that's garbage. It's just garbage. It's not even animated. So we're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, cowboy. Listen, <laughs> what you need to understand is you don't have to like it, but you got to respect it. Because if it weren't for us watching those, you wouldn't have what you've got now. So, yeah. you know, you say Robotech, you put some respect on that name. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's just it. And like, honestly, half the time people will watch this stuff and be like, oh, this isn't so bad after all. Right. But it's like, I remember growing up in like, having an aversion, which I regret now, but as a kid, I didn't want to watch anything in black and white because it felt old. Yep, exactly. And yeah. like, I have no notion of that anymore. But like at the time, it was just like that, you're, you're kind of like, nah, that's old stuff and everything like that. And like my kids will see 80s movies and be like, oh, that looks so old. Uh, well, my daughter will, my son will. And uh, my daughter celebrates everything 80s now. Like I, I somehow converted her, but like my son- uh, It's the like, greatest no. decade. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I if mean, you weren't there, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I know how everybody feels because they're so jealous of that decade, but like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't want to flaunt it, but like, yeah, it is the best. You know, we, I mean, listen, like I tell, like I tell uh, folks that said I'm a, I was born in the seventies, a, a child of the eighties and have the angst of the nineties and I never got over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know, from there it was all, it's all downhill from 93 on being honest, really, you know? Yeah. That's, that's all, you know, everybody tried to, to replicate that being stuff, when I, you, uh, you know, yeah. Nothing to do with that being when I graduated high school. Yeah. Where, where's our night Rider today? Where's our Airwolf? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Like the theme to Airwolf is one of the greatest songs ever made. Can't change oh, my yeah. mind. It's I'm sorry. That should be the national anthem at this point. <laughs> it really should. And we don't need any words because, yeah. you know, if that, if that, doesn't give you chills and then you can't hear airwolf and you're on your own behind you oh, yeah i you know i don't know man get a better imagination um, i mean think about airwolf for a moment sorry to sorry to digress no here. that's no that's, that's literally the name, the of, the name show. of the show yeah but like you if it. you think about airwolf <laughs> the best thing about it is like when you explain it to people like people have never heard of it before you're like okay well, first about, of all it's jan michael vincent and, and, and ernest borgnine who's ernest, ernest borgnine, borgnine? <laughs> yes exactly but not only that, it's about a military helicopter that's pretty much invincible unless you can put a bullet through the front right gun or whatever. Yeah. I think it's the front left gun, yeah. which is like Death Star. It's basically a flying Death Star. So that's amazing. Yeah. But they keep it. It's stolen from the military and it's kept in a dormant volcano by Ernest Borgnine and Jen Michael Vincent so yep. they can run their own missions. Missions yep. given to them by a guy who wears a white suit named Arch Archangel yep. who has a, a black eye patch because he's a But also wears glasses. But also wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like the cool thing. And every week he has like a, like a, a new like model quality, uh, uh, like basically. Uh, um, he's borrowing Charlie's Angels. He's yeah, he's better than Charlie's Angels. Angels. You know? he's and Street Fellow Hawk, right? Yeah. Like what yeah. kind of name is that? It's amazing. The best, the best and name. And he lives out in the woods far away from his helicopter. So plays I don't know cello. how he gets there. Yeah, he plays cello plays to cello. what? To a hawk, right? Or an eagle yeah. or something like that that's yeah. flying around. Yeah. Some majestic bird. And he does yeah. that every episode. Yeah. And so it's like when, when shit goes down, and he has to go do something. Somehow he goes from there to the helicopter. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Like, is there a better show? There really isn't. Like, no, it's I don't think so. Not, not. Uh, you know, I mean, Knight Rider is in that wheelhouse. It's in the um, universe to me. Like Knight Rider, Airwolf, Street Hawk. You know, these yeah. things all kind of exist in the they, same. Oh no, universe. it's it's a shared. It's an MCU before there was MCU because. Yeah. We built our own shared universes as children. The A-Team, Michael Knight, yep. um, Streamfellow Hawk, um, and all of these cats, they existed together, and we were mad why we didn't have a team-up movie. Because to us, it didn't. I mean, they all came on, like, the same channel. and You see, like, Donald P. Belisario at the end of everything, or Ubu, whoever it might be. You yeah. know, like, surely these things are all the same, right? And most of the time, it was, like, the one dude that always stood out to me, I'm like, this guy must be God because like his name's on like Belsar Galactica and like I Glenn Larson. Yeah. Glenn Larson. Yeah. Like, like, dude, this Glenn Larson guy is Jesus or something. He's obviously because, like, he, the biggest. He, yeah. He's the greatest living man on earth to come up with these amazing ideas. And almost everything has an eye, like a red dot that goes back and forth on it. Like yeah. that is the coolest thing you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. Still to this day, it gives everybody chills. We were blessed um, to be on the same timeline as Glenn Larson. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and with, you know, with Airwolf for me, you know, uh, it is, and like a lot of things, everybody has a thing. I hope that that kind of lands with them a little more solid aside from the fact that it is just pure eighties, uh, awesomeness, uh, wrapped up into an, a helicopter. Um, <clears throat> two things, uh, I, as a child, uh, and I, I wear a prosthetic right eye 
So I can legit wear, you know, I could have my eye patch here is what I'm saying. You know, I could be that guy. <laughs> and wear the glasses. <laughs> and wear the glasses, exactly. Uh, so I related, you know, uh, on the on a superficial level to that because I was like, oh, that guy's cool and he's only got one eye. And, uh, and but then uh, almost without fail, I watched it with my grandfather. Like I'd be at my yeah. grandparents on the weekend and it came in uh, when it would come on and it would be what he and I watched. And yep. that was just always the thing. Uh, and so, you know, you can't separate yourself from a lot of things in that way. Uh, but, you know, I've gone back and watched a couple episodes. I don't care. It holds up. Okay. You know? Yeah. I, you know, and that's the thing about nostalgia is like all of its like flaws doesn't matter because it's like, it just takes you back again to that time and that moment being with your grandfather. Like I remember being with my, my, my dad and like my grandmother a lot watching those shows. And like, for some reason that all brought us together. I remember my grandma even had Battlestar Galactica, like, rims for her glasses oh, <laughs> like, <sweet. what? laughs> like, the coolest grandma on the planet that's um, awesome yeah but like i like we just loved all that kind of stuff so it's like you do go back and you remember the good times with all this stuff and those were good times like those were heady days back then the 80s were is that like you know we like the the cold war felt over everything is like optimistic and everything like that even though yeah there's stuff behind the scenes that i was too young to know about that was just awful but like I, in my it? mind the world's great oh <laughs> Have with with the lens of experience through hindsight. Oh my god, was it horrible? <laughs> uh, no, everything is because of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, cocaine everything in the eighties. Everything in the eighties happened because of cocaine. Looking back, that's true. Oh, yeah, Miami uh, Vice was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Miami Vice. You know, uh, has um, uh, oh uh, Edward James almost in it. Yep who is in the remake of Battlestar Galactica. Yep. So you just brought it all back around again. All full circle. Um, and uh, uh, frequent listeners, uh, skip ahead a few seconds. You've heard this story before, but my good friend Mike here has never heard the story about how I was graced with a uh, lesson in acting from Edward James Almost. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I know, right? What? Um, <laughs> no, I, I uh, attended University of Central Arkansas in the theater department, and uh, this is about 97 98 maybe. Um, and uh, I had to take, I was, I'm a theater techie. I'm a techie, uh, like slide sound sets, build stuff, uh, do not act. Um, and, uh, but you have to take acting. So I was in acting two class and um, the university was hosting him to speak to, you know, just general audience that evening. Uh, but the coordinator for that was the director of theater, who was also the teacher of acting too. And so she, you know, got him to come talk to us. And uh, he, um, he spoke for for a good, you know, for the class period. And, and then at the end, uh, he left me with life's greatest lesson, uh, in that uh, he asked if we all had any questions and the room was was embarrassingly silent. And he said, mm, that's disappointing, you should always have questions to ask. Yep. <sighs> so I live forever with the shame of having disappointed Admiral Adama. <laughs> you know, if you're going to disappoint anybody, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me get the best. <laughs> and what I would like, you know, uh, EJO, buddy, if you're listening, I know you are. Um, what I would like him to know is that in instances where I don't have a question to ask, I tell that story and it, and it gets me through. <laughs> because you know what i have learned and this is also you know like an interview or something is if the interviewer asks you as the interviewee do you have any questions for me come up with something that person has oh, yeah. slotted that time for you they're actually they're asking you because they want to know and cutting that off short uh is uh you know is this uh um you're not being cool with their time man so yeah. you know always have a question to ask they, they allocated the time to give and exactly, like, exactly. take advantage of it mm -hmm. yeah and and you know there's always something you can ask there's always something. oh yeah even if it's uh if it's just like do you like karate yeah what form of karate that's right uh, you know belt? wrist control yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh my, my chin -na. <laughs> yeah my, my cricket karate versus your locust karate <laughs> No, there's they're different styles. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I did I did do martial arts for a while. That's a good uh, that's a good uh, uh, exercise and mental practice. If you what was it. your motivation for martial arts? What you what was the reason you went in there? I mean, outside of like you know it's being cool. prepared for any moment of a ninja attack, but like yeah. <laughs> you never knew. You know, it's you know that is that I think that is probably something we don't talk about often enough. Is I'm, ninja by their nature are out there and you don't know that exactly. 
right? So um, what it was early, uh, I, I, I trained as a youngster uh, and that was because I got bullied. So my, my mom thought, yeah, well, we'll just put you in karate, uh, taekwondo. I, I like how like parents at that time though, it was great. It's like, oh, you're getting bullied. Like let's get, let's teach you well, something to kick their ass. <laughs> yeah. First of all, we're going to go see the karate kid and then everybody's <laughs> yeah. going to want to be a ninja. Uh, and so the ATA and the USDF were like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I went to, uh, I went to Chuck Norris karate and, uh, and then, so that just, that sat with me though. I always remembered, I, I enjoyed it. And yeah. then, um, I was working at the library uh, here in my local library system as the network administrator. Uh, and uh, they came and did a demo in the library one day. And I was like, you know, I used to do Taekwondo and they were like, come do it again. And so I did it for several years. I got to uh, um, in the ATA, I am a second degree black belt. And then in a different style, I am uh, a second red belt, which is like a brown belt and then black belt. So but I ran out of time. Like I started a job. <laughs> That's you know, the, the very nice positives to all this stuff was the, the discipline you get from doing it. And everything. Yep. it's like, usually like, um, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't done it. My friends all uh, done it, but I would get the like hand me down lessons from them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it was one of those things where my parents don't want to pay for it, but like, I can at least benefit from like, you know, be the benefactor of like my neighbors. And, um, we go through all this stuff and we were just we were all the time we'd be practicing, but our motivations were like, they went from, you know, we'll take care of any bullies that come our way to, all right, just in case, well, like the what if scenarios, what if, yeah. you know, Red yeah. Dawn happens, like, we should be prepared <laughs> to have, yeah. like, take down these guys with karate. Yeah, <laughs> because of karate, of course. Yeah, yeah. karate because is the thing we can have. <laughs> we're going to dodge the bullets yeah. to get into close range melee hand to hand with our <laughs> yeah. karate that we taught ourselves. It's our stealth that will get us close to them. You know that. <laughs> I don't see any faults in this plan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously our prep work for uh, the impending doom, um, Gen X is, we're all here, by the way. Yeah. Um, and the reason that you see, uh, the reason that you see Gen Xers uh, and, and uh, you know, Xennials and elder millennials not phased um, on the outside, at least we're all dying on the inside of yeah. what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, but we did that already. Uh, yeah. like, uh, you know, we have, we have been through, uh, all of this once before and it just, you know, it, it gets to be a part of your existence. I was like, point. as a kid, we were still doing really early, not for long, but in elementary school, we're duck still and cover doing drills. duck and cover drills. Yeah. yeah. We're doing the duck and cover drills. And I remember it was mixed in. It was hard to tell the difference between the duck and cover drill and the tornado drills we would do. Yep. But the other <laughs> location locations were a little bit different. We went to the and, hall for the tornado drills. Yeah. Hall for yeah. the tornado. And then like the, the deepest, darkest place for the nuclear for the, drills. Yeah. You had to, you had to get out. I mean, like the very first thing was to, uh, you know, you were going to hit the, uh, you're going to hit the ground. You're going to get under your desk. And somehow that was going to protect you from the blast. Yeah. If you weren't which, in the yeah. if you weren't in the immediate blast zone, that was going to protect you from the light. <laughs> that desk um, that could barely like stay together. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. <laughs> made by made by Verco just up the road from me here uh, <laughs> in beautiful Conway, Arkansas. Um, but yeah, no, your training your training back in the day, you had to watch uh, the Karate Kid. Yeah. That was you. So you, there's your ninja skills. Everybody, yep. um, everybody knew the crane, but nobody knew the crane because that's the secret weapon, right? If no, uh, if done correct, no can defend, right? I oh mean, yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the hardest truth ever told by anybody. And that's your item right. of last resort. So you always just yeah. push that to the back. It's like, you, right, right. You wanted you to know. solve it more peacefully, but you right. had to use you know. that. And, and, and failing, failing, uh, the crane, there's always the touch of death. Uh, yep. Thank you, Bart Simpson. Yep. Um, and and so you had you had uh, that as your training. Of course, you got all of the uh, all you got the paramilitary experience you ever needed from watching the A team and Airwolf. Yep. Um, and then, of course, uh, Red Dawn was legitimately going to happen. Yep. Um, any day now. And oh, yeah. you needed to be prepared. Uh, and that's why every uh, 12 year old uh, worth their weight in 1987 had to have a combat ready hunting uh, survival knife. That's with the me. with the compass and the stock. built-in compass, man. Yeah. Built-in compass got the, fishing the, line, the choke wire. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, fishing line or choke wire. It we call it the choke wire. Where, We're like, yeah, that's it's what a it's garage, like. good garage. I like how you guys are thinking. You know, I'm thinking survival. You're thinking death. That's yeah, why we killing. make a good team. Yeah. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you're hunting. I'm gathering. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really going to happen, though, right? It we, was. We were going like, to save the world. Exactly. And if you weren't going to save the world, you're going to die from nuclear destruction because, like. 
that day that I remember our teacher going like, I want all of you students tonight to watch the show on television called The Day After. And it's like, oh, okay, that's yep. cool. Let's go check this out. I don't think Traumatized an entire generation. It did. Like, that was just like, holy shit. Like, all this karate doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we're just going to obliterate it. <laughs> now, now, back me up on this. But as a child, if your parents let you stay up to finish, it wasn't a good thing. No. It was not a good thing. If it's and something it, you wanted to stay up and watch, no, you're going to bed at nine o'clock. It's bedtime. If if it's something that they needed you to understand, oh yeah, you know, yeah, stay up all you want, but you need to understand this. Yeah, and nuclear and like, annihilation is something we needed to understand. Yeah. It was, and that was like going that next day to school. Everybody was just like white in the face, like mm-hmm. blood drained, like oh my god. And you knew who watched it because like the kids sitting there giggling, running around, doing whatever. You're like, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, yeah, no, they got to play Atari. Yeah, they got exactly. to play Atari. Their parents uh, shielded them like like a desk in a nuclear care. strike. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. You're on the left coast uh, based on the time difference, but um, I've I've lived my entire life in Arkansas. Yep. And so if you know uh, a little bit about um, the history of, of the arms race, Arkansas houses housed maybe still does to some extent, a lot of Titan II missiles. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were always going to go uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, I learned that at a disturbingly young age, like four or five. Um, yeah. And uh, I, uh, I, have a, I have a range of hyperthymesia where I can remember insane amounts of biographical detail. Feels a lot like maybe you do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I remember learning that oh yeah no first to go guy it's okay oh yeah and uh and i don't know if you remember the event uh that it's covered in the documentary uh the pbs documentary command and control uh where a uh titan II missile technician uh wanted to save a little time and tried to use the wrong socket to work on this missile sounds like a bad idea he dropped the tool of course because it slipped goes down hits a line starts you know, human uh, fuel. And this is a nuclear warhead sitting on this thing, you know, locked in its silo. And I can't remember how many people it wasn't, it wasn't many, but um, you know, some of the service folks died, Uh, but eventually this thing goes off and that missile, the warhead is ejected like a mile away from the missile silo site um, manages to not rupture or go off in any way, thankfully. Uh, And that landing was about a mile from my grandparents' house. Oh, my God. oh yeah and i still remember my my nanny uh made the news and i thought that was awesome that my grandma was on the news uh, for, for, for what could have been the worst possible thing to happen oh yeah no i had i didn't i didn't understand that context then but boy after i watched command and control as an adult i was like i was white puckered up all over again now, it's the <laughs> worst when you talk to somebody who knows they're like yeah. oh you don't want to know how many missiles accidentally get dropped on things <laughs> I I don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, there. There's a there's a the the number of missing nuclear arms that were under the control of the United States is a number that is not zero. Yeah, exactly. And that is that's disturbing. Like, Uh, we don't know where they are. (laughs) It's not like, you know, it's not like keys. (laughs) No, no, they're around here somewhere. No, we're talking megatons of destruction. That's cool, man. No big deal. Yeah. No big deal. I've got a margin of error for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was uh, I was thinking, you know, when things got pretty tense, as as a lot of us uh, dark humor experts will do. Um, sometimes we laugh at the worst possible times because it's the only way we keep from raging. And uh, once once I, I heard, you know, how things were tightening up over there, I was like, well, I guess we're watching Doctor Strange Love tonight. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's I mean, no I fighting think- in the war room. <laughs> We, we, you know, we do come from that generation too, where it's just like, all you can do is nervously laugh because mm-hmm. like we've had imagery since we were kids. That's just awful. Yeah. And like, it's just like, almost like there was almost as like, as much as we had like airwolf or anything on TV, we also had the threat of annihilation constantly on TV and you know, like that too. Yeah. And it's just like, your brain is just wired. It's horrible. Like I'm not, not putting, taking any of the edge off anything that's going on. It's awful. And like, I can't like I go down that uh, Reddit rabbit hole of like seeing what's going on over there. And it's just, it makes me angry and everything like that. But at the same time, it's one of those things too, where it's just like a, a, another horrible, like the dark nostalgia of like, man, I'm starting to remember all the stuff that we had to do when we were kids and all the stuff that was going on and like that. Even like, you know, when we went on the Iraq war and everything like that, it's like, everything's great when it's all your side and you don't get the, you don't get the information of what's really happening. Right. And stuff. But like when you see the whole picture, 
it's it's not a, it's not the picture you want to see. Nope. And it's, uh, you know, uh, growing up as uh, in the rah-rah 80s, it's it's not the um, it's not the the system we thought we were sold either uh, no. in a lot of ways. Um, but it is, you know, just again, not to make light of it, because it is easy for folks, especially, um, you know, and I think the generations below us, we just passed along. I mean, there's like sar- sarcasm is algorithmic. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the kids behind us, they get it. They understand. They deal with it in the same way because they're our kids. They learn, yeah. you know, they learn that, uh, you know, life, life is shitty out the gate. Nobody try. We haven't tried to sell them, you know, a box of roses or anything. Exactly. Um, and it's just that, like, you have to deal with trauma through laughter or you die yeah in a lot of ways um and that's you know it is just that it is part of who we are but to you know for yourself and for myself and, and for everyone who's listening and hopefully the folks I'm, I'm i'm thinking about are also listening you know through this show uh i have uh i have a friend on on twitter uh his name is Bowden, and he's in ukraine um and through him i met a friend named oleg uh, who's in Moscow. And, mm-hmm. you know, Moscow, uh, Oleg's been on the show uh, as he was, he was able to speak English uh, comfortably enough for himself to, to be on. But he was born on, you know, 87 under Soviet Russia. And, you know, I would, I'm old enough to be his big brother. And you, you know, the idea that, that he and I then would have been, you could have told us then that we would in the future connect mm-hmm. over this and talk about Star Trek would have been, unthinkable yeah right and you could have told you and i that you and i would be talking like this oh yeah video talking in the future sounds like that's what we're doing man about star trek yeah that's going to be of course but that i would that i would be speaking with a a russian and that we would be friends and this is what's so amazing about being in the information age or where everybody calls it right now in the news but it's like we are so connected more than ever that like the kind of impact it's having on say my son who plays video games with people in Russia and Ukraine yeah over like over Xbox yeah and they're having conversations about what's going on yeah never would have happened when we were kids because it's just impossible it just we didn't have the technology or anything at the time but like this is a different like this is even more abstract to them and they like, are global citizens they're global citizens and this makes no sense to them in a way yeah. that we had we had media telling us like, you know, you're the, you're the Rambos of the world and you're the, whatever, like, you know, here's like GI Joe and all, you know, all these things, like really the, the hoorah of everything going from a really one-sided perspective that like kind of sedated us at the time. Yep. And, you know, our kids don't have that. And so they see the horror of this stuff. Like they're on their cell phones getting imagery. They're not even asking for because it's in the feed. Yeah, and exactly. Like that, whereas like we were getting like only what, what we should have uh, you know, processed for us. Like Our, My mom me. made me stop watching the news when I was a kid because I couldn't hand it, handle it empathetically. Yeah. You can't get you can't make your kids not watch the news now. Yeah. Right? You, you can say don't watch the news, but they're going to find a way to watch it. They're going to have it on their phone. You yeah. Know? There's no way to uh, prevent them from having it. It's just like citizens in Russia can't, you know, if they want to see what's really happening out there, they can find it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a. Uh, it, it's one of these things, you know, in the day job, uh, I work for a, an incredibly large fruit company at one of their local uh, fruit stands. And um, and so I help a lot of people uh, uh, try and understand technology. And with with parents and kids, they, they're like, well, what, you know, as as representative, what do you do uh, for for safety and control of your kids, what they do with their devices? Well, trust. You know, um, I let them do what they need to do. And if I find a reason to suspect that they're doing something they shouldn't, then we will have that conversation. But until they show otherwise, they aren't breaking rules. Yeah. Um, And that goes a long way. And it, it, you know, and I know not every kid's that way. Every, every, every person has behavioral differences and not everything works for everyone the same way. But what that has, I feel like done, and and you know, you know, you may have a similar experience. It's let them develop their own critical thinking. Yeah. Right. Um, they kids are a lot. They got better bullshit smellers than you give them credit for. Um, and if you let them use them, then then they really won't ever take bullshit. Um, yeah, they're they're better. <laughs> they're better than our generation at detecting the BS on yep. Facebook or any of these yep. things. Uh, you know, it's like. They can spot the fake kind of like angle or whatever that people are trying to sell. Like yep. they, they know when people are trying to sell them a line or, or some information better than our generation. And uh, it took them a little while to get there too. Cause like my son would be like, Oh, well, you know, like 
COVID was like built in like this place or that. And it was, it was for this reason, I'm like, no, that's not, you know, when he was younger, that's like yeah. a couple of years ago, that's not, make sure you know where the facts are. And then now he's really good at like, oh, here's the reality. You know, it's yep. like, but it took him a little while to like surf that, but they're, they're, they're going through it way faster than we ever did because they have this technology and this platform now that we had the luxury of like, kind of like growing with, yep. they're getting it just handed to them. And so like, they're, they're, they're really fast at figuring it out. That was something that kind of contrasted uh, decidedly for me, the difference between um, you and I and our, our generation growing with the technology, as you put it, I always struggle to kind of, I always say I grew up with it. Like, yeah. you know, we grew up together, me and the technology. Yeah. And, um, you know, and even, even in our uh, group there, there's the folks who just didn't care, you know, yeah. uh, nerds, uh, yeah. and that's you know, <laughs> exactly. like who we were. So yeah, uh, jokes on you y'all. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, it didn't land on, you know, in that space for me until like when my kids came along and they just use technology, they don't yeah. care how it works. Oh, yeah. I was like, Oh no, I need to know how it works too. Like you don't care what's going on. No, I just want to play games, dad. Yeah. There's no question of how, how it works, how it even got there. And that's like, yeah. I remember like seeing those videos of like kids, like looking at a magazine and trying to touch the magazine and make things move. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause like, it's not an like iPad. Yeah. It's yeah. not an iPad. So how does this work? Um, and what's funny though, you know, is how the flip of that is how intuitive it is to touch the thing to make it work. Oh yeah. Like that. It seems like the most natural in, instinct that, that uh, you can hand a phone, you know, a touch enabled device to a, a small child. And as soon as they see something happen, when they touch it, that's all they need. Yeah. That's it, man. We're locked in. And then, and they are not afraid to go in. And the reason that it works is because a child, they're not afraid to go in and push buttons. Yeah. They don't exactly. give a shit if they mess anything. Up. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was the, that's what we did, man. I took apart my toys. Um, if there was, if the screwdriver fit, we were getting inside. Oh yeah, uh, we're gonna see how this thing works. Even if I could only get to the part where I okay, those are computer chips, and I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> that was half the journey, though. It's like you want to know how things work because they were simple enough to try to figure it out. I remember yeah. I would get shocked so many times because I remember so taking times. apart. We had an electric organ. I took that apart and I like launched myself across the room, basically yep. like live wires and all that stuff. Cause it's like, <laughs> that was like, you learned from no all shielding. that stuff. No shielding. What are you? It's just like, I'm just going to touch all that. And like, um, but like you learn from all that and we would learn to make stuff. And so that's how I, I mean, by the time I got into high school electronics class, I had a baseline understanding. I didn't know the, the, the by the book, how to do it, but I knew generally how to fix and repair things or things. Yeah, basic understanding of switching and, and yeah, adding and, and all of that. Let's yeah. face it, like you took your toys apart and you want them to work again. So you learned the hard way of like <laughs> trying to put things back together because I would screw up everything. I and mean, I would yep. just be, I'd be so frustrated. And it would take me forever, but eventually I'd figure out how to get it all back together. Oh, and uh, there was something going on uh, in the house the other day and I can't remember what it was, uh, but it got to, um, oh, something was picking up a radio signal or something. And Anyway, I told my wife, I was like, it's obvious that you never built an AM crystal radio with a science kit in your grandparents' yeah. living room <laughs> yeah. and broadcast KIDD radio to the world at large. I mean, oh, man. Like even so, so the other day, I'm sitting there in the backyard with a couple of neighbors and we're like just talking about everything going on in Ukraine and everything like that and how crazy everything is. And like somebody uh, I was looking at my Twitter feed and uh, Jeff Minter, who's this game developer, posted a shortwave radio uh, frequency that he's hearing Russian on. I'm like, oh man, like shortwave radio. Uh, and like, and so my neighbor's like joking. He's like, I bet you there's an app for that. I'm like, oh yeah, there is an app for that. So we all done this app, and then we're all listening to like Russian exchanges going on on shortwave radio all night. That's we're nuts. just completely fixated on it. We're like, oh my god, and we're getting other like frequencies and stuff that's like talking about the war, what's going on. There's then you're picking up things that sound like military frequencies, and it was crazy. But it's like all on your iPhone. You can just do that from an idea of like, you know, it would be crazy if, and then now here we are. We spent the rest of the night listening to this stuff. Blows my mind. It's crazy. That blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> because it makes like once you once you say there's an app for that, all the pieces fall into place. Of course there's an app for that. Yeah. Why wouldn't there be? Why would there not be? <laughs> it's just you put up an antenna and we like with a computer, you can tune all the signals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it just you know, and it's one of those things until it hits, you're just like, well, then of course, of course they can do that. That makes perfect sense. It's, it's mind boggling though. Um, and that shortwave, uh, you know, that shortwave era with uh, CB radio and everything too. Um, did you have a CB handle as a kid? Oh, I had a few of them. Like yeah. they're usually related to really nerdy things that truckers didn't even understand. Didn't understand. What I was talking about. Yeah. yeah it's like mine, Frodo, right? Like, yeah, I'm Frodo. Mine was Max Headroom. <laughs> 
Max Headroom's a good one. Yeah. That's a really was, good one. That was Max Headroom. And uh, like you said, the truckers didn't get it. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, we, we were kids and our we knew our voices were high pitched. So like my neighbor, he would always, he would pretend to be a woman and say that he was going skinny dipping at this place, this like whatever place in the park. And these truckers would get all kind of like crazy. And then we would go to the park and watch his trucks would come by. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a you punking the truckers that's oh, it was great you know, it was always it was a good time they don't give you the toots anymore either as you drive back and we'll tell you they don't uh, they don't toot the horns anymore they don't well dang mike it is um it is about that time unfortunately uh when uh when things start to wind down at the tail end of the show but uh i just gosh i know it goes by it goes by so fast it um, does what okay so if you can yeah uh or, or if you can't, then we'll fall back to the next question. Uh, right now, what you guys are working on, the company's working on, what is the most exciting thing you got in the hopper? Ooh, okay. So and you're excited. The thing that you're excited about. Um, mm, good question. It's hard for us because we can't talk about a lot of stuff. But I, I can, know, right? Yeah. I, I give you some it. general context. Like we have, there's a lot of anniversaries coming up in the game industry, like really yeah. big milestones, and so it's given us the opportunity to highlight some really big events from like 50 years ago. 40 I was about years to say ago. it is. Yes. It's in that. Because, oh. Yeah. Cause the video game industry is only really 50 years Space old. invaders and stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, we have, there's a lot to celebrate over the next few years here. Yeah. And so we're working on a lot of projects that are, the goal here is not only to uh, celebrate these, these games and this technology and the launch of like completely innovative things back then, but to also um, put, put a light on where it can go in the future. So right. a lot of what we're trying to do here is like, we're, here's where we were back then. Here's where, how we've, here's how far we've come thanks to that. And then here's what the future looks like if we continue down this path. And so, and having that as an open dialogue with, with, uh, with game fans and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so working fantastic. on that, I've also got some film projects and some uh, television projects I've been kind of incubating on a bit too, because I started to dabble in that a little bit. Cause I'm actually a film major uh, from college and I wanted to get into film but like video games were always something I did as a kid. <laughs> I made it on the side and like they just didn't teach you in school how to make video games. So no. um, I, I happen to have this particular skill set that that called before a film. Particular set of skills. Particular set of skills. And so um, <laughs> so now in full circle, because of my experience in games, it led to doing more and more with film and television. And so now I'm taking advantage of that and starting to exercise that a little so bit. So baller. I love it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just... It's I, I I when you get an opportunity to celebrate a reason to be gentlemen of a certain age or people of a certain age, like this history with video games, that's yeah, 50 years sounds like a long time, and I've been there for a lot of them, but also that's just incredible that that we are at that point now where um you so something similar, right? As yeah. as kids when we were collecting the comic books, when we were yep. reading the funny papers. Uh, you know, I, I started collecting Batman at Batman 440, uh, which was the introduction of uh, Lonely Place of Dying. Um, yep. I just happened to step into it. So my uncle Alvin, uh, who has the reason I'm into all things, he's only three years older than me. So we grew up, you know, like close cousins and brothers. And um, and so, of course, he was he was driving before I was. And uh, he took uh, he took us out to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And uh, in the lobby, in the theater, which is the same theater uh, in some parts that I just went and saw the Batman in, um, there was this odd looking poster in the case across the way of the concession stand. And I couldn't quite put my brain around what it was, because if you'll recall, when it was in the poster case, the edges of the oval were cut off and it was not the complete bat. Right? That's awesome. And so took me a minute and i was like what is that and my uncle looks at it he goes that's batman and i was like what what <laughs> and so you know we go and we watch bill and ted it was great too because there weren't very many of us in there and so like before the show started it was like i got to go peek up under i'm like 13 i go peek up under the screen i'm you know first time i ever saw a movie yep. screen was got oh it's got holes in it that's weird yeah <laughs> um you know i spent seven years working in a movie theater eventually um but uh uh, and after that, we went down to uh, the mall had Hastings. So we went down to Hastings and uh, just I was instantly hyped about Batman. And he bought me a uh, pin, a little round Batman logo pin uh, like I wore on my backpack until I got out of high school and um, my first Batman comic book. 
And, That's awesome. Uh, it just happened to be that one. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's amazing how those kind of things from that era, they just, you know, that nostalgia. Yeah. And I looked at that, you know, thinking back to 440 and I was like, who, who was there for Batman issue one? Right. Yeah. And well, fast forward 35 years and I'm over in, uh, the bat cave, our local comic book store. Uh, and I'm flipping through the new issues and spawn is somewhere in the, you know, five hundreds or something. Yeah. And I was like, took a moment and I'm like, I'm the guy, I'm the guy with issue number one. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so weird. (laughs) I still have that. I still have spawn number one. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to do the math right now, but you think about like, okay, the time that it was between like Star Wars and, you know, Star Wars episode four or Star Wars as we knew it. Yeah. Like the Phantom Menace. We're beyond that time basically now for all this other stuff going on that like, it seemed almost impossible. Like when we were growing up, we would watch like the wonder years and think like, wow, that's so long so ago. Long ago. Yeah. But now you can watch like the Goldbergs and it feels like it was yesterday. Right. But it's, it's the same amount of time, if not more. Right? Indeed. Well, and, 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 you know, the revival of uh, that seventies show as that nineties show. Yeah. And everyone's like, I can't wait for it to come back. And I'm like, what you're not hearing here is, is that the time difference is the same y'all yeah. when that seventies <laughs> yeah. show was new go back that far and that's how far back we are now from that 90s show so don't get too freaking excited yeah because it all means we're closer to the dark embrace of death <laughs> oh, the, don't get me started there that's like the, now i feel like i'm racing every day i gotta oh, get a lot it? in i was listening to uh i was listening to a youtube before we got started steve shives uh talking about star trek and he was mentioned about how he's uh, halfway through the expected, uh, the average human lifespan. Not that I think oh, yeah. about that a lot. I don't think about it at all. I'm no, like, never. No, I, no, I don't think about it. Never every crosses day. my mind. <laughs> yeah. Or anytime. Oh, the worst is when somebody famous or anybody dies, and you do the math, and you're like, "That's only 20 years, man." Oh, my Google, my Google search is basically how old is blank? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll hear some horrible thing. I'm like, well, how old are they? And it's like, oh God, they're younger than me. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. yeah no, those those hurt the most. You know. They do. Uh, oh. Um, one that really the, the the most recent just you know punching the old grandfather clock was uh, the Batman and realizing that this Batman was gra- was born when I graduated high school. Oh yeah, ninety three. Yep. It would have been born in ninety three. It's crazy, isn't it? Broke my heart. Crazy. Broke my heart. <laughs> uh, but then, I, then then I'm usually like really happy when I see somebody who's like my age, like still still out there doing something. Very few of them, but yeah, that's it's right. Like, that's it's well, you know, there's always hope. You know, uh, Sam Jackson was about our age when he got started. So yeah, you know, I mean, there's always hope. Not that and we're keeping track. Not that yeah, we're not keeping that track. Yeah, it's not. It's not score. We're not scoring this because yeah, we'll I lose mean, to Sam Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll always lose that guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I would lose on purpose just to make him look good, even if he's like ninety-five and can't move. Yeah, he's like, earned. Oh, that. damn, Sam! Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. oh, Don't make me go get a royal with cheese after you. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, man, I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, oh no, shit! I had one more question. Yeah. What is there. the favorite project you've ever worked on? One you can talk about the most fun oh, you've yeah. had doing, or the or the one you looked uh, that you the got the most uh, satisfaction from? You know, it, the one that I would. Believe it or not, I have a lot that I've worked on. So many. I've worked on over 200 games. But the oh, one sure, that was yeah. probably the most fun was this game called IDARB, I-D-A-R-B, with a hashtag in front of it because it was short for It Draws a Red Box. It started its life <laughs> as a tweet where I just drew a red box using code. I just had the code draw a red box on the screen. I asked everybody on Twitter, what should I do with this? And that led to me meeting some of my favorite people in the world, including Cicero. Yeah. Um, all these things where... Like it just all led to all doors opening. It was just the most fun project because not only that, when you go online, for instance, the, another throwback here, when you go online while you're waiting for the lobby to fill with people, it plays the modem sound we we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Like I was able to just celebrate all the stupid nostalgia I had. Like even every time you load it, it loads a little bit differently. So it has like one, one sequence that when it loads the game, it looks like the Commerce 64 and it says like loading, whatever, comma eight, comma one, and then runs or whatever. I have the intro to GoldenEye essentially in there, like my take of the intro to GoldenEye. Like everything I grew up with is being thrown in there and, the, and there's still more room for it all. So that was like one of the most fun things because I could exercise nostalgia, but do it with an original game, which is basically what IDARB is. It's a sports game, but it's all the sports mashed together. And so it's like, it's this crazy sports thing. Ball so, arena fest. Yeah. It's basically everybody's ideas kept being stuff like NBA Jam or NHL hockey and all stuff. So oh. it's like, all right. So we mash it all together. It's eight player. You can play online. It was just super fun. That's so that was probably the most fun because I met so many people who kind of came to support the game. Like as I was showing it, 
more and more like people from like celebrities to like game designers to like just every everyday everyday Joe out there and every podcast person, everything just decided they were going to back this game and like make sure that everybody could see it and play it. And, and so it was, just, it was so so fun. It was just like a big love fest with everybody. I'm like, let's throw all our dumb ideas together. And that sounds like dumb, a that fun. sounds like a game that that should live on like uh, Panic's Playdate hardware. You know? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. I bet yep. uh, I bet those cats would get a fun time by the people for like the that. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, dear listeners, if you don't know what the Panic Playdate is, oh, uh, yeah. hit up hit up Panic.com. Um, uh, I've been a supporter of Panic for way too many years because uh, they make uh, for the longest time they made the well, they, it's still the best Mac FTP client. Let's be honest. But um, you know, they were one of the only ones in the game back then. And uh, that that little piece of hardware, it's like it's like a Game Boy with a hand crank. I mean, what can't you love about that? <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Is it challenges not only game designers, but people who play games to like use a different going back to using a different interface. Because when we were kids, all these games would have trackballs, spinners, all kind of tank controls, whatever. Yep. And that went away to just like the common controller. But like play dates, like eh, let's go back to doing something really obscure. And how, what can designers do to make really cool games around a crank? It's awesome. Yeah, that's a it's a great idea. Uh, and uh, well, I I hope that you uh, are open to the idea of rejoining us uh, at some point in the future because I Absolutely. figure like we could just talk about all the other. We could do an entire show. Like we could just we could actually schedule to do an entire show about Airwolf. If that's I know what we wanted to do. Um, and maybe I'm on board. Maybe I'm that's what board. we do. Maybe yeah. Oh, I'm all for it. We could get we could get great jumpsuits, and I could be Ernest Borgnine, and you could be Dan Michael Vincent. And- <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I am so in. Yeah, this has been really fun, and it's oh, like right it's such on. a great exercise to just like kind of just relax and talk about everything. This is really good. Usually, I get on podcasts where it's just kind of like I have very fixed agendas and got to do like an interesting, but like this has been really fun. I um I heard a, I heard a uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that out of all the seventy some odd thousand interviews Larry King ever did, he never prepared for one. So I kind of take that to be in good company. Yes, um, I do. I do. You know, it's either people I know or people I want to know. And uh, I, I, humans have been talking to each other for, I don't know, millions of years now. It's, it's not like we're no good at it. Exactly. And, uh, and then we throw Airwolf into the mix, we only get better. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I tell folks, too, it's like it's weird if I were just to reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to talk to me for an hour on the Internet? But if I call it a podcast, everyone says, OK. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, in uh, in rare form, this this will be this week's release. So you'll uh, you'll be exposed uh, for all of this uh, on Thursday. Fantastic! All Thank right. you so much for having me on here. Uh, really my fun. absolute pleasure, and uh, definitely uh, we will be talking to you again, dear listener and uh, listeners. Uh, thank you so much for being with us for another week, and uh, to all the patrons on my Patreon out there, thank you again for all your contributions. Um, it buys it buys sodas and snacks, so I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, all right, well, and with that, we'll say uh, good evening. Good evening.